<laughs> any, any tabletop people who want to learn to be better players, figure out your turn during other people's turns. That's my tip. Yeah. It, it's like getting then, a restaurant order when you're in line, you know? Like, yes. you don't wait until you're at the counter. You look at the menu while you're a few people back, and you're like, oh, yeah, that looks pretty good. And then when you get up front, yes. you're like, yeah, I'd like the I'd like the Smike Burger with a with a side of lightning bolt, please. And they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> the guy behind you is like, oh, can I get a fucking sword? <laughs> <laughs> Hello everyone, I am Blue, and today I'm joined by Red. What's up? And our producer Indigo is lurking in the shadows. She usually insists on uh, playing it sneaky in the beginning, uh, but she's there, J just be aware, Indigo is there. And today we have a very, very special guest. We are joined by the one, the only, Joe Cat. Woo! Hi. Hello, it Hello. is hey. so, so wonderful to have you on today. How are you doing? I'm doing very good, I'm very excited. I've always wanted to be a guest on a podcast. Awesome. I mean, today's I, the I've day. I've been on a few, but every time I'm like, oh, man, uh, people ask me to be on <laughs> podcast. It's great. <laughs> yeah. It was funny. We we basically had all, like, collectively, along with about two million other people, watch the, the crap guide to, to DMing, and we're like, wait a minute. We should ask Joe Cat to be on the podcast. So it's we like appreciate you now? being very... Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, 1.8 as of when I checked a couple what minutes ago. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah wow. uh, for, for those of uh, the people in our audience um, who are so deprived as to not be aware of the majesty that is your channel. Could you just briefly introduce yourself uh, for, for the folks back home who, who don't know what's up? Yes, uh, my name is Joe Cat. I am a person on YouTube. I do just a variety of stuff, I, I guess. The most well-known series that I'm known for is the Crap Guide series. It's a sort of satirical, uh, fast-talking uh, series of, of kind of giving you the rundown on how to play certain things. It started out with Monster Hunter, but now it's better well known for its D&D stuff, like how to play different classes in D&D and the various parts mm -hmm. of D&D. But uh, yeah, I just recently ended at the time of this recording uh, the series by capping it off with a crap guide to Dungeon Master, which is only six was uploaded six days ago, and you're right, it's at 1.8 million, and that's, yep. that's insane. It's, it's, it's amazing. Crazy. It was such a good video. Um, we can wow. get into that uh, a little bit later. Um, uh, what we had on on our half of the channel um, this week was a video from Red. You had the trope talk on Greatest Fears, um, yep. and I had a, a History Makers uh, video on the uh, North African historiographer Ibn Khaldun. Um, so we got a lot of different uh, different ground to cover between uh, <laughs> my video, your video, Red, and then Joe Cat, your video. So where, where are we feeling like starting today? Uh, I can get through Greatest Fears pretty quick because uh, honestly, it's been two weeks. I've nearly forgotten everything about it. So <laughs> Okay. Let's... Who knows how long this knowledge will last? <laughs> yeah, no time to uh, waste. Yeah. Well, the most noteworthy thing about that episode was that... Uh, Fucking Rusty Quill, the guys who do the Magnus Archives, sent us an email a few months back that was like, hey, thanks for giving us a shout out on one of your trope talks. We'd like to sponsor an episode. And I was like, ah! <laughs> so, yeah. That was nifty. Uh, and uh, People were I freaking was like, out in the comments. They yeah. were. I, and uh, the thing is, like, when they emailed, I was like, first of all, I got all the screaming out of my system. And then I quickly reshuffled my scripts. And I was like, well, I have this thing on Greatest Fears I've been working on. Originally, I was thinking for October, but I could push it back. And they were like, that sounds perfect. And I was like, cool. Ah! So anyway, great stuff. Um, but then I was reading through it and I was like, th this is like the kid friendly version of the Greatest Fears stuff. Like, I'm just talking about like, oh, this episode of Justice League did it in a really fun and heartwarming way. And then meanwhile, Magnus Archives is like, hello, I'm here to make you suffer. So uh, it was a little totally incongruent. But I think it worked. Um, 
That episode of Trope Talks is one of a handful of episodes that reminds me like, man, I really need to rewatch Justice League and Batman Beyond. You do. Because they're Everyone so good. should. They're, uh, one, one of the main through lines of, of Trope Talks are the various shows that keep cropping up because they are so good. One of yep. which is obviously always Avatar The Last Airbender, but I, I rewatched that last year. So like, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm up to date, but... Justice League and Batman Beyond. It's it's been a few years. I need to get back on that because it's such a good show. Yes, Hell no matter yeah. what, Justice League uh, Unlimited and just like that series, that like cinematic universe of yeah. you know cartoons will always be my favorite interpretation of the char- those characters because they're done so freaking good. It's so oh, yeah. so good. Ah. Yeah, ensemble yeah. casts are like they're either perfect or they're just god awful and uh yeah. and with the yeah. dc animated universe they they really pulled off the ensemble cast like obviously you know it's a superhero narrative which means it's kind of like thread of the week but with thread of the week it works really well with a character driven ensemble cast so yeah. with the first you know with justice league the first couple seasons it was like we got these seven people and they're gonna hang out and that's it go okay and somehow it worked and then with unlimited they were like all right we've added about 500 new people and go <laughs> And it still worked. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, Justice League Unlimited, like, the episode format was they would choose three random leaguers, send them on a mission, and then it would just be like, okay, go, have fun. A lot yeah. of times Spark it wouldn't even be the main seven either. It would just yeah. be, like, some other people. Like, they focus on Supergirl for a couple of episodes. Yeah. Some other yeah. ones they had, like, uh, Green Arrow and, you know, the yeah. what's her name? Black Canary. Um, uh, Black Canary. Black yeah. Canary. Yes, yes, Black yes, Canary. Yes, Black yeah. Canary. <laughs> And the Thank question, you, oh man, yes! I, love, I love the episodes where like the question confronts Batman. You got two detectives being uh, butting heads. Oh, it's yeah. so, so good. good. Everything about that, that show is so good. That whole sub arc, the one about like Supergirl and Cadmus, where it's just the question and Green Arrow and Supergirl hanging out is perfect because it's like, who could be like, you can't think of a more incongruous set of leaguers. No. It's like, all right, we got a faceless super detective who's uh, very, very weird. And we've got uh, Green Arrow. <laughs> and we've got... Who's just a dude. Who's just a guy. <laughs> like, that's his main selling point. He periodically points out, like, guys, I'm just a guy. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you think I'll Batman's help, just a guy. No, this is a just a guy to the just a guy. <laughs> yeah, this is the real just a guy of the, bat, of the league. And it's great. And then, like, oh, and the... Okay, Speaking of just weird, like, you mentioned Black Canary and, and Green Arrow. I love those two. But I also love when they go up against the Question and Huntress, who are, like, also on a date. And it's just, yeah. like, this weird double date <laughs> fight. It's so good. It shouldn't work, but it does. And that's, like, the through line of the entire DCAU. Because, I mean, I've described Batman Beyond as, like, the pitch script was clearly... What if we what what if Batman were Spider-Man? All right? What if we just took Batman and we made him Spider-Man? Like even his rogues gallery is like point for point just Spider-Man's rogues gallery reskin and somehow it's the best thing they've done in years. I don't Absolutely. understand. Yeah. Uh anyway, I, yeah, sorry, it, greatest fears. Is the specific <laughs> uh, never mind. I I was about to go way deep into DCAU, but uh, Oh yeah. no. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so as as for how the DCAU relates to the to the topic of, of greatest fear, is the episode of, of is that episode called Nothing to Fear or is it called Fear itself? Because there are only two possible episode titles, and I don't remember which one it is. But it's actually that one called was, Only a Dream. Only uh, a Dream. Okay, never yeah. mind. Breaking the mold. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a mold. really interesting uh, episode, which. Diana's just not there. She's just She's straight not. up not no. there. I've been really curious Wonder to Woman see isn't you. afraid of anything. But oh, what, yeah. I wanted to, what I wanted to uh, talk about, speaking of yes. greatest fears, is there is one kind of branching of that trope that um, obviously you're strapped for time, but I was surprised you didn't go over. Yeah, it's maybe, all good. maybe it's not a significant 
part of that trope is the f- meeting a character that suddenly makes a character realize their fears. Uh, I can't think of any specific shows that do that, but, you know, it's not like a manifestation of their fears or a dream that shows their fears, but, like, they meet someone or they encounter something that suddenly makes them realize, oh, shit, I'm afraid of this. Ooh. Am I trying to think of any shows that do that? I feel like that often happens in instances where characters will meet a version of themselves that took a slightly different path in life and then wound up being very, very different. So I I know, like... Daredevil and Punisher is kind of that dichotomy, but mm. I don't know if if that's reflected in all the different media or if it's just from from the the Netflix show. Um, well, I think Batman has another kind of example like that, but I'm I'm having a hard Batman time. Batman has a million of those. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Broadly, broadly, this is in the space of character foil, uh, which is obviously a massive, massive character trope. So it, it incorporates a lot of things that aren't this, but um. Usually a character foil uh, serves to reflect the character that they're foiling off of in a slightly odd way. So, like, mm-hmm. they'll be similar in some ways and very different in others. And uh, frequently the character, like, one of them might be aware of their similarities and one of them might, like, not want to admit their similarities. And in a case like this, where it's like you meet a character and you realize, like, oh, God, that could have been me. That's that's one specific kind of greatest fear. Uh, but that's almost, like, covered in my really old episode on uh, We're Not So Different, You and I. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I see. That's valid. Yeah. Like, I mean, one of the examples that a lot of comments were talking about is uh, there's an episode of Teen Titans. That's actually several episodes of Teen Titans that are kind of the greatest (laughs) fear thing. Uh, There's the one where they watch a horror movie and Raven's powers go wonky because she's scared but won't admit it. And it ends up making the nightmares come to life until she figures that out. And it's like, it's a very non-standard greatest fear episode. That's kind of why I didn't use it as an example. But it is sort of addressing like, no, the only thing she's afraid of is admitting she's afraid. So once she sorts that out, nothing is a problem anymore (laughs) except for her powers in general. But uh, broadly, that, that show doesn't do the standard greatest fear episode because a lot of the plot is about what their actual greatest fears are. Uh, like the whole thing with Slade is, you know, Robin being like, oh God, he's like me, but older and taller and more of a dick and not Batman. <laughs> uh, you know, every time he deals with him, it's just all constantly like, no, I'm nothing like you. Let's fight. Wah! It's just like, guys, calm down. You can do other stuff, you know, there's other plots. Uh, I'm thinking we always talk about like when we're referring to tropes and cliches and all that, we always talk about some good examples. What are some bad examples of greatest fears? Being being done in history, or not history, uh, rather, being done in media. Ron Weasley in Harry Potter is a typical example of like, oh, ha ha, he doesn't like spiders, let's just laugh Mm. at him about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that happens. I actually saw a few people citing that as a decent example, because it's like, oh, it was the result of trauma, and it's like, I respect your opinion, but like, if you think that Rowling respected Ron at all... I don't uh, think I don't think any of the Harry Potter movie adaptations respected Ron at all. No, no. they didn't. Which is, I think they tried to make up for it in the seventh one because he's so important in the book, and they're like, "Well, shit, we can't we can't give him we can't give his best lines to Hermione like we've been doing for the last several movies because <laughs> he he does a lot of stuff while Hermione's there. <laughs> what do we do?" But- so. As for good, bad examples, um, usually good, bad examples uh, make an appearance every couple of, of trope talks, but um, mm. I'm not sure that I can think of of a particularly good, bad example that isn't just the one that you described of, like, trivializing a character's fears and making it seem like like nothing, because I feel like any instance of, like, oh, haha bugs um yep. is pretty much mm-hmm. going to be that i think so. my standards for this might be a little bit just high because I, at this point i kind of go into everything i watch with a critical eye 
But there are some of these greatest fear stories where it's really obvious that like, okay, just get over it. Just wake up. We get it. It's a nightmare. And then, you know, after about 18 minutes, they're like, wait, I get it. None of this is real. It's like, oh, <laughs> congratulations. Welcome to the rest of the class. Yeah. Uh, but, y you know, that's there's nothing wrong with that. That's basically just the trope in its simplest form. And I'm just being all snooty because I'm used to that. So I want it fancier. So I'm not getting what the plot is three minutes into the episode. And that's 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 not a fair standard to hold anything to because that's how you get people being like, oh, I bet you couldn't predict this plot twist I pulled out of nowhere that's got no foreshadowing and doesn't work. <laughs> that, no, that's I, not I think it's totally reasonable to want it to be, you know, tightened up a little bit. Yeah, I, I think that's it, actually. Sometimes when they drag it out for too long, it's like if the characters yeah. are just running around for way too long and it just gets steeped in misery. Oh, you know what? Oh, I'm kind of, I've got mixed feelings about this, and I know we're, like, coming up on time, but there was an episode of Young Justice that I, I have very mixed feelings about because it did the whole, oh, wait, this is actually, like, a mass hallucination psychic thingy, and we're just living out a really bad situation. And it became really obvious that that was what was happening when I think, like, two of the main characters died, like, two minutes in, and I was like, well, that's not right. Uh, and then it just kept going, and it was, like, really depressing and upsetting, and I was like, I get it, okay. Uh, <laughs> But the part where I was like, oh, you know what? I respect that, is that that had, like, lasting psychological consequences. Like, I think the whole next episode is essentially everybody in therapy <laughs> discussing <laughs> what what that meant and, and how they're adapting to it and, and how they're going to recover and team trust and stuff like that. And I was like, you know what? I didn't like that you kept me in this bad situation for way longer than necessary, but I respect that you're actually addressing that that happened in story. So, That's you know, nice. mixed feelings. I'm yeah. just imagining like the next episode is just a 17 long seat couch and a therapist with a cartoonishly oversized clipboard like, OK, let's 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 figure this out. What's going on here? Connor, let's unpack all these identity issues. Nope. <laughs> out through the wall, he goes. So in short, watch all DC animated series. Yes, but don't necessarily expect all of them to be good. Batman Beyond is the best. Everything else is just downhill. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sorry, today's spicy take. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Get all that out. So yeah, yeah, Blue, you had uh, a video as well. Yeah, so that? I just on Friday had a, a video in the History Makers series um, about a gentleman by the name of Ibn Khaldun, a Muslim, uh, Arabic, Tunisian-born historiographer living all around North Africa, uh, Egypt, up to Spain in the 1300s. He had a time. Usually in this series, it's like, yeah, so here's this historian who wrote a book and gave us literally three seconds of their own biography where Thucydides is like, yeah, I lived in Athens. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> let me tell you about how much uh, th this guy who isn't Pericles sucks. Um, but Ibn Khaldun is like, yeah, I'm just going to give you an autobiography. That's That seems like an appropriate thing that you should have. And I'm just like, thank you. <laughs> um, so it was cool to be able to actually unpack his life and look at how this guy who was born into the like wake of the Mongols and then lived through the Black Death as a kid and then goes into politics, Game of Thronesing his way town to town to town for like 20 years, um, just trying to, to hold down a job and then always getting thrown in jail. It's like Machiavelli if he did it seven times instead of just one and then moping about it in his Tuscan villa. Uh, so Ibn Khaldun is crazy because he had so many things going on in his life and you can really see it reflected in his history that is very much like, let's look at how nations and states rise and fall and what the mechanisms are behind that. Because in a lot of, of history in medieval Europe and even history as written in, uh, in the Muslim world during the Golden Age, it's like, these things happen because these people did a good job because they were so pious. And then mm. Ibn Khaldun is like, no, 
Not at all. What are you doing? So it, it, it's cool because obviously there are a lot of people earlier and before him who had very nuanced ideas of, of how like states themselves can have characters and how there is a cause and effect to things as opposed to, and this happened because God said so, which some bad historians in Europe did, but not that many. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it was cool because he's like, let's make a system for this. Let's look at what's actually causing these things on a large scale to happen and how we can like, abstract those uh, back up a layer to look at it as a general model for things, as opposed to just going super in-depth at one event and saying, yeah, you know, theoretically you can see how this could happen again. It's like, let's look at what these arcs, what these seasons of history are. So there's a reason that uh, 200 years later, Machiavelli is like, oh, oh, this guy knows what's up. And then all of his analysis is in some regard based off of the original work done by Ibn Khaldun. So it's it's so cool because he's so often not talked about outside of, you know, outside of the context of, of Islamic history, but he's so important <laughs> to the yeah. entire field. It's like, ah. I was just going to say, uh, I am not a big history guy. Is it just like not common for people to write like biographies like this, like to account of their experiences and... You know, I assume not because like, you know, they don't know that they're living through history, you know, yeah. things like the Black Death and, you know, the Mongols. Sometimes, sometimes you get people who included aspects of their own life into their work. So in the Alexiad by uh, the Byzantine princess Anna Komnena, she adds some details about herself to kind of flesh out like, yeah, look, so I was the daughter of the king. I was in the palace while a lot of this stuff was going down, but it's not like an explicit autobiography in the way that Ibn Khaldun did. Some people like Confucius didn't really write anything. We know basically nothing about the guy. That was another <laughs> History Makers episode earlier, which was voted on by the patrons. Uh, I feel like as a challenge, um, <laughs> but uh, he was one of the first guys to be like, independent of my work as a historian, I will just write an autobiography because I feel like maybe this will be useful. Um, I feel like, so he was um, one of the first to really do that, that intently and that like with the intentionality behind it. With with even Khaldun, uh, I'm saying that wrong, I'm sorry, but I, I feel like with him, like he definitely recognized the sort of top down nature of histor yeah. of historical analysis. And I feel like that's so important because mm -hmm. he did it while he was living through it. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's easy for us to take a top-down perspective on history as it's happened. But, I mean, we, we've definitely talked about how people never seem to recognize that history was at one point the present, just like the one you're living through now. And yeah. all that shit could happen again and has many yeah. times. It takes uh, some incredible foresight. Yeah. Yeah. I, and so with uh, with even Khaldun, or... Is it like kind of a hard sound? It's it, you. You can you can kind of like cheat by just pronouncing it as Haldun with with an H. Um, the the Arabic is a little bit different, but I can't speak Arabic, and I just kind of pronounced <laughs> it as an H, and people said I did fine. So uh, oh, okay. you can just you can just go soft H, and it's okay. I'll just start nicknaming him so I don't get it wrong. Okay, so Ibi. our dude, our, our boy. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And I think the fact that he had that top-down perspective is why he did the autobiography, because yeah. most people living through history are just kind of like, yeah, this is the world, this is how things are, and it's not going to appreciably change, which is why, whew, 2020 blindsided so many people. Yeah. Um, just not, not that uh, not that people should have seen the, event, the events coming, but a lot of people did seem genuinely shocked that, like, wait, that's not allowed. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that happens thing, in books. Things uh, yeah. can happen to that, me in my lifetime that are significant. That's why... 
I had so much fun with the very beginning of the video where it's like, it's no fair when it happens to me that it's it's a throwaway joke, <laughs> but it really gets to the whole idea of like, no, yeah, no, I'm just enjoying, like, history's done. I'm just coasting right now. Like, we're, status quo, everything's in, in stasis. We're just fine. It's like, no, things change all the time. One of the reasons that he actually had that strong of a perspective was that when he was very young, and I didn't actually include this in the video, but uh, the the city of, of Tunis was briefly taken over by a, an, an outside group, and then it kind of reverted back to, to being under the control of the people who had it, um, the, the Hafsid dynasty, I think. But it was a very brief, like, whoa, this entire state that I've grown up in just changed hands mm. way too easily. Oh, okay, yeah. no, I get it now. And that was a, a, a huge part early on that, that let him see, like, oh, the Mongols. History is different now, fundamentally, because they're here. Oh, the plague. History is fundamentally a different ball game now because this new factor is in play. So even though he has a lot of, like, cyclicality and, like, oh, like, these are the seasons of how this works, he was astute enough to recognize, oh, these things are really... A turning point. There, things are are not going to be the same anymore in some respect mm. because of, of how these things have changed. And obviously, the cycles still progress, but the, the the means by which those those arcs unfolds is 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 totally different. And he had the foresight to recognize, or not the foresight, but the every direction sight to recognize. <laughs> oh, okay, yikes. Yeah. <laughs> He recognized that he was living in interesting times and thought maybe he should take yeah. some notes. And I really yeah. respect that. And I think yeah. that, that that general space of historical analysis of I'm living through this, let's talk about that. And I, I feel like part of the reason why a lot of these historiographers or other historians didn't write autobiographies is because they were like, I am merely the vessel through which the, the stream of history flows. And it's like, no, you're an author. You have biases. Tell me what they are. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> They don't think to include that, but uh, our, our dude, our, our broski, he was like, yeah, I'm going to write down my life, my perspective, my experiences, and my thoughts on what's going on, because I'm not an impartial observer. I lived through it. And yeah. I think that that was a really good approach. And so, I can only yeah. imagine stuff, how much impact that made on on historical analysis like yeah it's yeah. it's the entire basis of the science behind how we do it now i mean theoretically someone would have figured it out eventually but ooh, someone uh, did it <laughs> was him yeah, yeah uh nowhere uh nowhere near as as impactful as is having it uh been done in the way it was i've never because... heard about this guy but now that i am hearing about him and what he did i'm like why do we not talk more about this person like yeah this sounds crazy important it's because he didn't live in Europe, and honestly, yeah. it's, ah, you know, we, uh, we, we joke about answer. that a lot, is that history has a, a very, like, Eurocentric bias. You look at the places that you're from and the, the cultures that have fed into the one that you live in, and to some respects, I understand that. If I had it my way, we'd have a lot more history education, but, like, working with what we have, meh. Um, one of the problems uh, with just the, the the kind of, like, crossing those boundaries is that if we get outside of our bubble, we'll see that, in like, Anyone who lives in uh, in North Africa, um, uh, Levant, uh, like around Egypt, Middle East, like everybody knows about this dude. He is like their Thucydides, their Herodotus, but it's just crossing that cultural threshold. There's so much that gets lost on the other side of it. And and a lot of people like did know what was up. Like Ronald Reagan, you know, loved his ideas. Um, really? Machiavelli loved his ideas. Yeah, no, uh, long story. Uh, supply side economics was basically Ronald Reagan's misinterpretation of Ibn Khaldun's economic analysis. But that that's a whole different thing to unpack, wow. and I am not qualified <laughs> to explain that. Um, that is wild. But there's there there was like a lot of like you know 
kind of coming over the uh, the boundary, so to speak, uh, where, where people did know what his deal was. But if you go into like any like Muslim majority uh, culture, like he's there. He is a known quantity, very much respected and appreciated for what he did. I mean, heck, you know, it, it, before the Renaissance, all of that classical knowledge was just there. No one just did anything with it yet. And it's, mm. you know, it, it takes those those like crossover points to make it understood uh, by a larger culture. So when I was looking at this video, there there are a couple of videos of, of Ibn Khaldun already. Uh, one was actually by a friend of the channel uh, named Al-Mukadima, same name as the book, um, who helped me with my script and, and was very um, uh, gracious in providing his assistance. And actually, uh, the maps that I did in this video were based off of the maps that he does for his channel, which is a fun little like stylistic thing. But uh, there are a couple of videos about him on YouTube, but even though this was not like our best performing video by a long shot, it was 10 out of 10 uh, on uh, the 10th place on our, our last 10 videos in terms of like mm. views per first few days it's still one of the biggest videos about him online so like even that is still showing so many more people what this guy's deal is and i i, yeah. I think i'm just kind of like rambling at this point but most of the I, comments I, I that know. i saw <laughs> most of the comments that i saw about it were like how the fuck have i never heard of this guy before so that that is right. the response you want like especially yeah. on on a mm -hmm. relatively like lesser viewed video like you, you really want the people who see it to be like whoa this rules because that, yeah. that validates like yeah no it was worth it it was worth it even if it oh, doesn't totally, get as much totally. traction as it should have it's yeah. there and if people need it it exists and yeah. thus perpetuates my resentment for my own education <laughs> oh yeah thereof. oh join the club join the God. club <laughs> the more we do this the more I'm like wow school failed me in every conceivable way yeah it's like wait a minute <laughs> learning is fun Oh. Yeah. I'll do it myself. <laughs> anyway. It's amazing what you can do when you're not forced to read textbooks and bad books from the 1960s. <laughs> it's like, you mean literature is stuff that isn't just, like, American authors from the 1900s on? Whoa. Whoa. You can, uh, you can have exciting subject matter if the teacher is excited about the subject. Ooh. I mean, that's, yeah. that's really the biggest trick to me. It's like, anything can be interesting if you can find the way into it. And school, most of the time, does not make any effort to give you that way in. It's just like, well, if you can't absorb this textbook of the driest information in the world, you're clearly not trying hard enough, or you're doing it personally to spite me, your teacher, who you definitely have a personal investment in. It's like, mm. this isn't about you, this is about me. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. I'm the student here. Megamind was right. It is about presentation. Yes, <laughs> so much. I... <laughs> I mean, listen, as somebody who has a great amount of difficulty controlling what I am and am not interested in at any given time, the fact that anything can be interesting if you find the way in was a fucking breakthrough for me because it was like, I was reading the Iliad. It was the most boring thing I'd ever, they made me read a chapter that was just a list of boats. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, chapter two. I love chapter two. I think it's it might have been three. Boats. It's just the fucking boats. And then like half of the fights are like, and then person A disemboweled person B before being disemboweled by person C. And I'm like, who are these people? Get me out of here. But the trick was when I started writing it down so I could sassily recount it to my family over the dinner table, suddenly it was fun because I, I had a reason to in absorb the information rather than just in six to eight weeks, I'm going to need to write an essay about this. Like, that's <laughs> not motivation. But talking yeah. about it, talking about the details that you thought were funny or stupid, sometimes that's all you need to yeah. get your hooks into something. Yeah. Because it's an emotional investment. Why do schools pretend like you shouldn't have emotional investment in the things you're learning? Why else are you there? 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I will say, bringing it back to uh, to Ibn Khaldun, one point against him, and probably one of the reasons that he uh, didn't find as much love uh, in in the West and in Europe as as he deserves, is because the Mukaddimah is uh, about seven hundred pages, depending on what font point you use, and that's the introduction to the history. Machiavelli, two hundred years later, takes a lot of the same ideas of like, here is how you can see the same types of events playing out in the past and in the present, and here's what you can do, and here's how you can learn from them. That book, same fundamental idea, if, if, you, if you break it down to its key components, 81 pages. You can read it in an hour. And that's why Machiavelli had a lot larger influence, is because people could read the damn thing without having to dedicate a month of their life. It's like, no yep. wonder it took him four years in the desert with literally nothing else to do to just write the Mukadima. It's like, ah! So and I, again, in reverse, if you have four years in the desert with nothing else to do, what else are you going to do? True. Right. It's like, well, I can spend an extra... 20 pages explaining this footnote. Yeah, I've got time. So, I mean, or I yeah. Or I can work it, on my it, tan and my dehydration. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, a, a point to, to kind of like going to explain a little bit of, of why he's not wider known is that it's big book. Big book, hard to read sometimes. Yep. So... Um, so. That's our nonsense that we've had these past uh, two weeks. Um, <laughs> Joe Cat, tell us a little bit about the the process of, of making the uh, either the crap guides in general or specifically with, with crap guide to, to DMing because we have been huge fans of your work for a very, <laughs> very long time. Uh, Indigo yeah. and I are in the same D&D group and like whenever one of our of our people like had their class come up in the video, like the next session, they rolled in feeling like a king because they had all the <laughs> memes they could talk about. It's like, Oh yeah, so let me just hit you with some smite because I always play paladin because <laughs> that's who I am. So it was always so fun. It was like an event for us whenever a new craft guide came out. But oh, I, I guess tell us a little bit about what the what the, what the process is like. Yeah. So first, I'll talk about how it, what it takes to make a crap guide itself. Like just a crap guide video is I would just like do a little bit of research um, and kind of learn to get the feel down of the subject, uh, whether it be the class from D&D or the weapon from Monster Hunter. Oh, man, the weapons from Monster Hunter, I wrote those in, like, a day. I would spend a day (laughs) writing, learning about the weapon, do, like, a couple of hunts, write it down, and then record and then edit and then release it the next day. Man, those were the days. Now they take several (laughs) months to make yeah, (laughs) because uh, burnout. But, yeah, these Mm. because these classes are so complex and there's so much to them, they take a lot longer, and trying to write them into jokes takes a lot longer too and the motivation and like i'm i I like to consider myself an okay comedian Uh, i say okay (laughs) on the fact that i can't rapid fire jokes you know like like they're presented in a rapid fire fashion but they take me a while to come up like i go through several drafts of these scripts before like they're even remotely maybe funny even to me like i got the last few ones i'm like i didn't get a single laugh out of myself and honestly th- those are the best jokes are the ones where you write it down and you read it out and you're like ah, this is funny but like <laughs> as the series went on it became harder and harder but um yeah usually i would do some research i would write a script um i maybe even like look would watch like some people play like a certain class to see kind of how they would do it and uh, I would write a script and then I would record it. And recording is probably the most annoying part because I stutter a lot and oh. uh, it's it takes a while. Like one two minute episode might have like a 30 minute recording and like most of that is unusable. Uh, I, I feel you there. I'm very yeah. similar with just the amount of recording time for the final video product is like it, it's like a factor of five. It's insane. <laughs> this is the Tim conversation all over again. <laughs> It, it, exactly. Except for me. Red, you it. are an outlier. Recording I, is hard. <laughs> I know I'm the outlier here, but I, I got into this because I like using my voice for stuff. Yeah. I don't know. It's whack. 
It anyway. is fun, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I w- and then I would cut it down, and then I would go to the other tedious process, which is drawing frames. Mm. That, I think that is the both the best and worst thing about the Crab Guide to D and D is it's presented as if you're writing on you know pen and paper like the game, yeah. uh, and that's kind of the idea of where it came from. Because otherwise, I think I could crank them out if I just used a bunch of stock images like I did with the Monster Hunter guides. But because I went that uh, direction, just like. I got to get the motivation to draw so many mm-hmm. frames. Uh, the average crap guide has about 100 to 150 frames of art. And the crap guide to DM has about nearly 1,000 uh, yeah. since it's the that longest one. It's, two, yeah. it's 22 minutes. That, that one, I really need to push because uh, once I get the momentum going, then I can get in like a good rhythm to drawing them. But then, mm-hmm. yep. you know, that's yep. usually the last uh, segment, section, whatever you want to call it, of production is mm-hmm. drawing it. And then usually after I draw it, it's done. And the Crap Guide to DM in particular, that one, um, fun fact, its conception and the, the kind of start of its production or pre-production, whenever you want to call it, uh, started mm-hmm. in September of last year. That's when I originally got like a few content creators together to be like, hey, you guys want to make a big, massive collab to like have like a series finale? And I was planning, I was hoping rather uh, that I could get it done December of that year to line up with the in December. But lo and behold, Mm. uh, each one took longer and longer for me to make. And this one came out uh, a year later than it was planned to. But I guess that's uh, how things work out. But I'm actually kind of happy about that because in the time that it took, I kind of gained a little bit more notoriety. It got me to try making, you know, a bunch of different types of videos and I think get more fancy with uh, the other crap guides. You know, things like the racist rap was not planned to be a rap (laughs) originally. Um, Perfect. The goblin video was a result of the fact that I didn't end the series yet. I got a deal to get a plushie, so I made a goblin video. Yes. Uh, and I love the Gobble Adventures. They're so, so cute. Yes. They're so well done. Uh, the alignment was goblins. the alignment video was not planned. The barbarian video remake was not planned. The character sheet one, that's the one that I sat on for a long time because I was scared of it because that one was <laughs> the longest in the series until the DM. But yeah, DM... Uh, I'm I am happy though that it did take longer because it got me to gain more notoriety and get to know more people and I think uh, get more comfortable talking with you guys and invite you guys on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we, we were thrilled when you asked us about it. Um, the, the, the concept of like, oh, we just get to be ourselves and be annoying and make comparative <laughs> analysis. Hell <Yes>. yeah. <laughs> and of Finally. course, the big man himself, Mr. Mercer. I, I, I think I would have gotten been able to get him on if I did it last year. I lost my shit because like when you reached out to us, I was like, oh, yeah, we're bros. That makes sense. And then I was watching the video. I was like, oh, yeah, I know a lot of these people. Oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Matt fucking Mercer. <laughs> Whoa. Dude, we have like we're we're like one degree of separation away. It's like the Kevin Bacon thing. Like we're so close. That's insane. Not even that, but like specifically that you asked Matt Mercer on such that you could yell at him and smack his papers out of his hand. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Matt Mercer. (laughs) I was wondering like what that conversation must have looked like. I just envisioned it because you're like a very polite person. So I was envisioning like. Hello, Mr. Mercer. I'm just reaching out because I'm doing this video, and I was wondering if perhaps you would like to do a very quick 10-second cameo. It's like, oh, yeah, of course. What do you like to record? Okay, well, hear me out. I'm going to tell you to shut up, (laughs) but it's going to be great. So, yeah, our conversation, I feel kind of bad for adding him on Twitter because that's how he got in contact with me. Because last year, when I originally wanted to make the video last year, I actually contacted his, like, uh, talent advisor, whoever's agent is, you know, the person you got to go through. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were like, "Uh, sorry, he's a little bit too busy. And I was like, okay. So 
and I did that again this year. But then I was like, maybe if I add him on Twitter, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I do feel a little bad that I did kind of use my following for that because obviously I I, I did that knowing that most people would like like it and share it, and Aww. maybe that would get his attention. But you know, I mean, I gotta have Matt Mercer, you know? Yeah, it's a D and D video. Least, you gotta get Matt Mercer. You gotta yeah, at, at least, least try. Finale. That's the yeah. thing. You have to at least try. But yes, yeah. he was super cool. I was like, you're a professional voice actor, so I will pay you for your time here yeah and he's like no 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 dude listen it's okay and i was like i didn't tell him i didn't give him the full context that i would be shouting at him and slapping his (laughs) pool noodles out of his thing uh and i also worry if it was bad etiquette because that his line is actually a little bit longer he gets interrupted mid-line to make it more natural so I don't know if that's actually kind of rude to do in the industry. No, I hope I think not. It's he fine. seems he seems okay. He seemed chill. You know, he congratulated he was totally me on cool the video. With it. Yeah. yeah, it was fine. Don't worry. I hope so. But yeah, that was uh, that was uh, good. And just getting everyone together and putting the audio together was actually really fun. Just hearing everyone's different takes and yeah. deliveries uh that was good yeah I, I i must imagine what it would have been like sifting through all of the like muttering and people like grumbling <laughs> unpleasantly lines I'm very sad that i couldn't use every that i couldn't make everyone audible because everyone's lines was really good yeah, I was I, trying to, like, pick it out. I was like, is that me going, ah, oh, well, whatever. I can't yeah. tell. I, I had one line which was, oh, I just wanted to play Uno. You guys made it weird. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, mm-hmm. but no, there were some really great ones. Um, Rad, yours, like, I want to turn him into a T-Rex. Wait, no, T-Rex is too big. That was hilarious. <laughs> I'm glad yeah, that so worked. I, I yes. don't envy that process of going through what must have been, like, dozens of minutes of solid gold and just kind of like smushing them together and trimming down to uh to some some key ones that got it was audible it was very so many talented people all all just like riffing around and just having fun absolutely i did want to i wanted to loop back because the thing you mentioned about drawing the frames for it like when you said nearly a thousand i like (laughs) i had a transcendent moment because the longest my videos ever get is like on the order of a couple hundred because my frames are on screen for longer and sometimes the trade-off is i put more visual like effort into it like i've got a i've got a video going up in january that i think almost every actually good looking frame has like a background and effects and like glowy shit particles color stuff like that and that obviously adds to the the time it's why journey to the west takes me so long every frame is like so much going on but you have so much more rapid fire comedy which means it's like 10 times as much for like a a roughly comparable video and that was always like i do remember the first time i watched it, i was like damn he draws a lot of these that's gotta be wow holy shit um so yeah i definitely sympathize with like when you're staring down the barrel of the next like three weeks of just drawing and you're like oh god yeah (laughs) but then once you get started the anxiety mm. of is this frame on screen for too long should i uh what about oh. this this word beat should i change on this word beat oh but that means i gotta draw another one yeah and then you know once you actually get started it, it tends to flow a little bit better which is always good for sure yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's rough and I, I, you know i'm getting a little bit of creators rem- well maybe not remorse but every every creator is the worst critic of their own stuff but like oh, there yeah. are a few 100%. things that i wish i would have included in in the to make it perfect like it seems perfect now and it is obviously but like now looking back on it there are a few things that i think i would have changed like some people mention how oh man this kind of makes it seem like none of it's the player's fault and yeah it it is true but i I guess the main point of the video is to show that you know being the dm you have a lot of responsibilities and sometimes it's okay to just just like wing it and just 
try yep. it. Um, but yeah, I, I think if I included like just a simple little line of like, yeah, but the players weren't being blah, 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 then, mm. or like, just like talk about, acknowledge that. Because I think, yes, it's a very important thing to talk about as well, that the DM is a player and the players do have to, there's a give and take. The, the, the DM has to give and take, but the players should also give and take. Um, yeah, I wish definitely. I had included something like that. I said, talk to the players. So I guess that kind of covers it, but yeah, well, I, I think even if it wasn't the most like explicit thing, I feel like it was kind of by by way of parody that the players should see like, oh, I shouldn't be acting like these guys because yeah. clearly the consequence is that my DM is going to like their brain's going to explode. <laughs> I saw yeah. a lot of comments along that vein of like, oh, God, I know those players. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I, I think you got it goal. across. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was the goal is that everyone kind of encapsulate the worst stereotype of player. You know, like I was like uh, uh, the direction I gave to a lot of the collaborators was like, think about what type of player you are. Now think of the worst version of that and write yourself a line <laughs> involving that. Yeah. And they're like, oh, Beautiful. OK, good. So, yeah, I hope m maybe it might take a little bit of, you know, interpretation. But I think that that might cover the whole like, OK, don't be like these players. Yeah, no, I think I, you did a really good job. I think you job. made your point. Yeah, I, thank you. On the subject of like being your own worst critic and feeling like, oh no, if I had one more pass, I could have done this or that. There was a little mistake in the Ibn Khaldun video where I don't speak Arabic. Uh, <laughs> I maybe not a surprise, but I, I use some some Arabic words for um, for Asabia and for Ibn Khaldun's name. But the problem is that when I I had them written in my script, it was fine. The all the characters were correct, but then when I turned it into the visual graphic, whatever the ASCII equivalent is for Arabic, got all garbled. So instead yeah. of being in like the, the cursive, like full word form, all of the letters were in their isolated forms. So it was like the equivalent of reading a word in like SpongeBob uppercase, lowercase thing. And some people <laughs> who speak Arabic are like, oh, on the one hand, you messed it up. But on the other hand, like trying to type Arabic with an English keyboard and just like trusting the copy paste I feel you, man. I've been there. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, man, yeah. I messed up. And then also everyone was very understanding. So it was yeah. fine. But I, yeah, yeah. Th that feeling of like, oh, no, if only I had. And then, of course, you know, we'd be at every single video forever. Yeah. The bright I mean, side. Yeah. The bright the side is. Oh, no, you go, go first. I went first oh. last time. <laughs> uh, the way I stay sane is I always accept that I'm going to fuck up at least one thing in a video. I always do my best not to. I always like go through and try to polish it up. But then every time there's something. Uh, when I did the uh, Loki's wager thing, I had this, uh, there's one frame where there's this whole complicated math equation uh, because I was trying to calculate how long it would take before this magic duplicating ring buried the earth in gold. Uh, and I did this whole process and I went through and I carefully checked all my math because I was like, the internet's going to go through this shit with a fine tooth comb. And <laughs> you're never going to believe this. There's an error in the premise. The formula I constructed is uh, wrong at the, <gasps> at the base. Um, it's a simple, it should have been a simple exponent, but I turned it into a sum of an exponent instead. I overthought it and I added an extra layer. And so it's wrong, but the answer is right anyway. <laughs> so I was like, you know what, whatever. But um, I knew it was gonna happen. And I, after I was like, okay, I'll just live with it. Yep. So yeah, I was gonna say one. the bright side of um, all of this kind of creators uh, criticizing their own work is is it's all like in your brain and the bright side is no one will ever know what they're missing out on and what you would have done to improve it uh, <laughs> yep. or at least the yeah. masses will never know that's why you never apologize for the fuck-ups that you see like if somebody calls you out on something you can apologize for it but like never when you're presenting art never say i'm sorry it's not good i should have done this better it's like that that primes them to to expect that just mm -hmm. present it, let it speak for itself, and then let them come to their own conclusion. Internally, 
You can beat yourself up as much as you want, but but don't do it in front of the audience. Yeah. Yep. So this was a nice little, little discussion of the past three videos that we've had. We're going to now transition into the Q&A section of this podcast. Woo! And welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast featuring special guest Joe Cat this week. I'm special? The specialist. <laughs> Always. <laughs> and you're a guest. And you're a guest. <laughs> Whoa. We're never going to get through one of these intros without uh, getting thrown off. I... <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Back at it. These questions come to us from our lovely users over on Discord and members of our Patreon. If you want to leave a question for the OS pod, check out the Discord link down below and head to the Ask OS Pod channel to ask your queue to be featured in an upcoming episode. This first question comes from one of our patrons, which is one of the best ways to support the channel. That and buying pins. <laughs> this question comes from Hanukkah Rat Queen. Do you have any holiday plans or traditions? I mean, normally this year? or this year? Yeah. <laughs> I guess um, kind of both. Kind of change. <laughs> I've mentioned in a couple videos that uh, for Christmas we would have a, a big homemade dinner where my dad would make Chinese food uh, because my dad's side of the family is Jewish. So it's like, we're going to celebrate Christmas, but we're going to do it in a kind of cheeky way. Because um, there's like That's this. That's pretty hilarious. This, well, yeah, it's because it's this like running gag that like um, the only places that would be open for, for like getting food are like the, the Chinese food places because the, it's not. Why would they celebrate the holidays? <laughs> but everywhere else is closed. So the Jewish families are like, well, where are we going to get food today? Eh, okay. And then you just order Chinese food or go out for it. And it's just <laughs> like, it, it's just this cute little like cultural synergy of like, hey, same not celebrating this holiday. High five. Yeah. <laughs> so, Odd ones you know. out. Odd ones out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, uh, it's, it's a little cheeky. That's basically the only unique um, tradition we have. Cyan and I would normally go to visit uh, one or both of our uh, families, either by car or by plane. Um, obviously, this year we're not doing that because we're staying home, staying safe. Um, but uh, one of the things that we do for Cyan's birthday, which is at the very beginning of December, is that uh, one of her birthday treat uh, events that we do is just, that's the day where we bust out all the Christmas decorations. Like, that evening we just take out the box and then go. We put up stockings. This year, Cyan sewed a tiny little cute adorable mitten for Cleo. It's the sweetest thing. It was so great. Um, but uh, aside from that, uh, yeah, not sure. Uh, <laughs> so far this year, I think um, just getting the decorations out and trying to trying to keep things festive. We got some fun little fairy lights for uh, for the the bed area of the studio oh, apartment, perfect. and those were really fun. We we tried to to click the color setting that uh, makes it closest to the Christmas tree. Um, we've actually had to tie the Christmas tree down because otherwise Cleo would knock it over. So it's like it's like held in place with three wires <laughs> because otherwise it would be it would have been on the floor like a month ago at this point. But we have fun here. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't do anything special every year. Oh, well, actually, I do one thing uh, with my group of friends, um, longtime people who have been subscribed to the channel since the very, very beginning of my channel uh, will have heard of the name Hijek, H-I-J-E-K. And that's me and four friends. And we're, we're pretty tight knit. We've mm. stuck around together since like high school. And uh, every year since we graduated, I think high school, we would like do this special 
secret Santa thing. Not so secret Santa, I guess, where um, the other four would like make like a private group chat of like what to give the fifth member. And then we would Aww. do that for every single one of us. Aww. So, yeah, that is that's so sweet. Yeah. We'd pull together. We would, we would have like a, a price limit, obviously, but like we would pull yeah. together and be like, let's give like uh, them two or three gifts. What, what do they like? What, what, what do you think they would want? And that's that's fun. We're doing that yeah. right now. We're planning. Very sweet. Are those the guys that you sometimes play uh, Halo with on stream? Uh, no, that is the no? Whimsy Shrimp crew. Uh, oh, okay. Hijack, Hijack crew consists of uh, my friends Heather, Ian, Eric, and Caitlin. And gotcha. they don't really show that show up too often in videos, although they do have their own de- dedicated channel now uh, since oh, nice. uh, I kind of rebranded Hijack to Joe Cat and just kind of split it off. Because I the analogy I used to explain like in an update video was I felt like I was the only experienced sled dog pulling the sleigh <laughs> while they were being drugged through the snow. Um, <laughs> so I didn't want to drag them through the snow to try and keep up with me. So, you know, now they have their own sleigh to pull at their own pace whenever they're comfortable. No, that's very fair. So, yeah, they, you know, we have videos that is kind of a group channel where we do stuff on that. And uh, they're they're great guys. Oh, that's fun. Awesome. Yeah, I I don't really have any particularly special holiday things. Uh, My family is uh, Italian, so we do the Feast of the Seven Fish. Obviously not this year, uh, but usually we just all get together and have whatever fish make it. Um, There's always bacala. One uncle has started to pick up sushi every year, um, some crab legs, and then it's just a free for all. Um, Honestly, sushi as part of the Feast of the Seven Fish is such a great (laughs) meme contribution to that feast. (laughs) Just like go as far afield of Italian fish cuisine as you can. And you really, you knock out a bunch of the fish all at once, too, because you can get like three or four of them in just one tray, you know? Really just hitting yeah. the numbers. I mean, with some with some sushi places, you can just get one of those, like, bowls of just rice with just all kinds of fish on top, and it's like, well, that's all of them. <laughs> that's at least a seven. <laughs> that Does really eel good, count? Actually. Oh, man. You can just get one of those, like, giant sushi boats, and then instead of just the Feast of the Seven Fish, it's like the Pescatarian Dreadnought. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. This next question comes from Rose the Cursed. So you showed up in a D&D video. You play any other kinds of pen and paper RPGs? Oh no, the floodgates. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, short answer, yes. Um, yeah, basically, uh, I, I've talked about this before, but um, my, my parents uh, played D&D back when it was AD&D and mm-hmm. have basically kept that up. Uh, so when I was like nine, they were like, hey, do you want to join this D&D game we're starting? And I was like, sure, what's D&D? So, you know... Th- in it for the long haul. Uh, but over the years, you know, we've we've played several other systems, um, Exalted, Shadowrun, uh, most recently the system called Numenera, which is actually quite cool. It's got one of my favorite world settings. It's it's very, it's like so post-apocalyptic, it's looped back to being high fantasy Magitech. So anyway, very cool. Um, there's tons of these out there. I, I will say that I think the only thing that, that kind of bums me out about the current surge in D&D popularity is that it's causing people to try and like mod D&D and like build D&D campaigns when functionally the game they want to play would be better suited to like one of about five other Yeah, that games. already exist. Yeah. yeah. It's like you don't need to mod it to play Call of Cthulhu. There's a Call of Cthulhu RPG. Yes. Davy Chappie, <laughs> yeah. my good friend Davy Chappie who also appeared in the DM video, actually had hey. a video uh, talking about this very problem of like mm. and he called it don't stop playing D&D because there's so <laughs> many other systems that people can try yeah. and enjoy. But I'm not going to do that because I am scared and new things are different and different <laughs> is bad. Yeah, I mean, D&D, I feel like, is like when you go and you play something very comforting in a lot of ways. Like, you just you know what to expect from it. 
Um, but I, I've played GURPS a few times, and I gotta say that I, I put some respect uh, on GURPS. GURPS's names, man. Mm-hmm. Um, for those, <laughs> GURPS basically allows you to adapt any setting to an our tabletop RPG, so it's meant to be like you could just come up with anything. They've had some like superhero expansions and things in the past, uh, huh. but the best versions of it, in my opinion, are always when people uh, take a completely ridiculous topic and then just add tabletop mechanics to it. Like, I want to play as a bunch of founding fathers or. Um, I want to relive the events of Romeo plus Juliet, but with dice rolls, you know, live your life. Real, real quick, though, nice. Red, uh, as someone who wants to branch out into other tabletop, just like really fast, what are some other tabletop systems you would recommend someone who doesn't want something really intimidating, but wants to try things other than D&D? Ooh, okay. Uh, not intimidating. <laughs> um, well, uh, let's see. It, it definitely depends on the kind of game you want to play. Uh, I haven't played Call of Cthulhu, but it does seem very well equipped for horror. Like, if you survived Call of Cthulhu without a TPK, that's, like, god-level luck. So don't don't go into that with characters you want to play again. But it's very good for horror settings. Uh, they oh, Critical Role did, like, a Halloween special Call of Cthulhu game, uh, like, a couple Halloweens back. So if you're curious about how that system works, you can look that up. Uh, Shadowrun is basically the uh, archetypical cyberpunk setting. Um, the the core gameplay loop there is that uh, you play a Shadowrunner. Your job is to do illegal things, <laughs> um, usually at the behest of mega corporations uh, mm. on other <laughs> mega corporations. Pretty cool. Uh, I think you need about a million d sixes to play Shadowrun. So okay. <laughs> yeah, they they all have different dice requirements. Um, there's the broad space of the, the World of Darkness games, which includes Vampire the Masquerade, Werewolf the Apocalypse, Mage the something, I don't remember. They, they've all got very pretentious uh, subtitles. And uh, those are kind of urban fantasy settings, but they're all very dark. It's called the World of Darkness for a reason. It, it's all, like, depressing and shit. And uh, you you usually end up playing as this really low-power, like, scrub vampire, and there's, like, no upward mobility because everyone's immortal and it just kind of sucks, so... Depending on how into it you are, uh, it could be really fun. Yeah, so uh, you should bring a fr- flashlight, right? Because yeah. it's very dark. <laughs> it's so dark, <laughs> yes. Uh, they also, World of Darkness, or White Wolf, the company that makes World of Darkness, also did Exalted, which I've talked about a couple times. Basically, the, the premise behind it seems to have been that they all got really, really drunk, and then they watched 70 straight hours of every anime they could find, and they were like, we could make a game system for this! Let's do it! <laughs> so, uh... It's completely batshit. Like, with, with the rest of World of Darkness, the power level is super low. Exalted took that and went in the complete opposite direction. Like, depending on who you're playing, you can get a giant robot really, really fast. It's a high fantasy setting, by the way. It's, like, high fantasy, but everyone is running around with super anime powers and, like, crazy, like, you know, punch mountains in half. And Depending on which exact kind of character you're playing, your ridiculous abilities either become punch mountains in half, punch armies in half, or punch the languages out of somebody's brain. <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> it's really nuts. It's it's just completely batshit. I think, like, if you're willing to play an absolutely insane game, Exalted is just so ridiculously just over-the-top and fun. So definitely recommend at least looking into that. I think the setting is really, really funny. If uh, It's got shades of grimdark, and a lot of the lore doesn't make sense if you look at it, but that's fine. Um, what am I forgetting? I did mention Numenera. Uh... Numenera is kind of trying to be very low dice rolly. Like, basically, the players roll for everything. So, like, if they attack, they roll for attack, and if they get attacked, they roll for defense. Um, and the DM never rolls anything. So it it's very simple. I, I think the uh, the combat system could use a little polishing up so people have more to do. But it's a very fun setting, and uh, it's quite new. So I, I do recommend that people look into it. Uh, there's a lot more, but this is basically the the space of things <laughs> I'm broadly familiar with. 
What about you, Blue? You play a lot of tabletop stuff? Um, aside from D&D, not really, but I am a fan of the kind of, like, simplified version of D&D, where instead of a character sheet that is, like, like abilities and, you know, modifiers, like, whoa, it's just you have your base six stats and then, you know, the plus or minus modifiers, and then just that's what dictates all of your roles. It's really good for setting up like little one-off games like indigo you actually uh ran a a space uh aliens horror game for us uh, a couple months back that was basically this type of setup where it was just really simple character sheets that you had a couple key modifiers for but we didn't have all the other like hyper complexity of keeping track of extra modifiers and abilities and perks and spell slots and all that nonsense so i like that because it's, it's simple it's straightforward it simplifies the game to the core of just role playing and occasionally rolling a die for something yeah i find that like paring down the sheet that uh for those one shots you know we basically every year we're running a halloween shot uh, where my goal as the dm is to kill off all of my players and their goal is to survive so Typically, we're not doing a ton of combat, and we pick, like, different horror settings for that. So that's a set of, uh, kind of situation where, you know, we don't need to keep track of a lot of different weapon stats and spells, because usually it's just, like, blue, but he has a wrench now, or um, indigo, but she can hack into computers. So, uh, you know, we, we're able to kind of cut away things, and I think that's one of the places where homebrew kind of works. But setting-wise, that's not really based on D&D at all, uh, other than stealing their stat system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Blue, you may be interested in My Little Pony Tales of Equestria, because that is a very simple <laughs> RPG system that apparently is very good. Huh. 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 <laughs> now, now you say My Little Pony Tales of Equestria. I, not having any familiarity with My Little Pony, except the one time that I accidentally stumbled into Baltimore during BronyCon. Oh, um, yeah! Long that. story there. <laughs> Went to uh, went to a Johnny Rockets down by the harbor, and then uh, two people in very robust costumes showed up, and I'm like, "Oh, there's there's something going on in town right now, isn't it?" And then we walked a couple blocks out, and there's a huge banner, BronyCon 2019. I'm like, "Oh, gotcha." Um, oh, but that might have been the last BronyCon, actually. Maybe, oh. or it might have been 2018. I don't really uh, time. What is it? But um, but yeah, can't a- say that I am uh, that I'm necessarily uh, in the loop with. Uh, my little pony <laughs> uh yeah but yeah but it's basically D D light like people like to say fifth edition is like watered down D. this is like mm. watered mm-hmm. down fifth edition oh yeah i do have to say a lot of the people have been getting into D have been getting into D fifth because that's the one that like most of the cool podcasters and stuff are playing but i got started with 3.5 and on the subject of absolutely batshit settings oh man highly <laughs> recommend like 3.5 has so many, like, they just kept putting out more books, and every book had, like, new races and classes and prestige classes. Prestige classes. God, I miss prestige classes. The general gist is that once you hit level 10 in a normal class, it would usually qualify you for a prestige class, and then you could start taking levels in that. And some of these prestige classes were absolutely insane. Uh, my favorite was the Shadow Dancer. After you hit level 10 in Rogue, you could get levels in Shadow Dancer, which would let you teleport through darkness, uh, which would also reset your sneak attack, which turns you into Nightcrawler, <laughs> potentially doing 8d6 bonus damage every time you bamfed out of the shadows and stabbed somebody. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. It was the most unbalanced shit in the world. I totally get why they went the opposite direction for 5th edition, but if you want to play a game where game balance does not matter, <laughs> 3.5 yeah, is the way to go. I definitely want to try 3.5 one day, though, because that's, like, kind of what a lot of veterans say is, like, peak D&D. It's, like, mm. in its, like, best version. Yeah. 
I mean, if you if you don't let the gamers power game a little bit, it doesn't really feel like D and D. So fifth mm -hmm. edition is great for game balance, but it doesn't really have that that level of insanity of the yeah. person coming to the table saying, "So you know, you can stack templates. Meet my half dragon, <laughs> half celestial, half fiend elf." Yeah, as <laughs> but I he's an aquatic more, elf. As I've so become more familiar and kind of playing more and more of fifth edition, like I start to see the cracks now and like seeing how things are a little bit shallow. Uh, mm. So I would definitely want to try mm -hmm. 3.5 as it's like, you know, you know, yeah, more D&D. &D. More D&D. Never a bad thing with more D&D. And D &D. Warhammer. Oh, Warhammer. Warhammer. I want to try, oh, try Warhammer. <laughs> oh, Mostly yeah, is... just because I can have my own little army. There is also, I think, a Warhammer RPG, although uh, I think I only read the source book for it once, and I don't remember if it actually makes any sense. Also, the thing is, the world of Warhammer is so cartoonishly miserable that RPing in it doesn't sound like any fun, so I don't know if uh, I can recommend yeah. it. No, 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 here's what you do, right? You RP it the same way you would RP like a super dastardly evil villain. You get to play out <laughs> your favorite <laughs> Disney villain fantasies. Think about it that way, because everyone in Warhammer is just awful, right? And everyone evil is the and worst. terrible. There, yep. is, there are no good people in Warhammer 40K, anyway. In, in like yeah, yeah. Warhammer fantasy, there's like some good people, but like... Yeah. 40k 40k is the best villain game you pick your villain and your your villain faction and you're just like die for the emperor or Ooh, orc want food wow yeah. that's the way yeah if you don't like the grim dark nature you would always play it silly and just be your own uh, disney villain definitely but yeah the, the the tabletop game is also fun but ooh, pricey man oh yeah stacks up. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, we, we're only going to be talking about more D&D, <laughs> so do not fear, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Uh, this next question comes from Lucid Lemon, parentheses, Christmas version. In the crap guide to DMing, did you write the script for your cameo yourself, or did Joe Cat give, just give you lines to read? Uh, it was a mix, wasn't it? I, I, yeah. I gave you guys a little bit of direction, and then you guys fleshed it out a little bit more. Yeah. yeah, so as I recall, the way that the script came to us was, uh, like, our, our place in the video was was set already. You had organized all that yourself. And for our lines, uh, for my section, um, you know, Evilius Mac or Evilus Maximus, you know, shoots out into, you know, into the sky, and then it's just blue compares Evilus Maximus to something from history, open-ended, do what you want. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's spitball <laughs> this. And then I came up with, like, the Pontifex Maximus Pope gag, which then you illustrated so perfectly with uh, vile bits bishops and dastardly cardinals um, as in literally bishops from chess yes, yes and then the fucking angry bird yeah <laughs> yeah i i'm not uh, sure if i'm remembering this right i think there was like a skeleton of my line in there it's like oh yeah i talk about that this is like this trope and uh and uh, oh watch next he's gonna say this i was like oh yeah yeah i can do that but i think i added the textbook orb thing <laughs> textbook <laughs> orb strategy is such a funny line it's so fun to me and like uh then there were also for the bits where everyone is yelling there was just a little like highlighted line that was like everybody improv. starts yelling something in this improv yeah and i was like okay yeah yeah I think I had like four or five for the bit where everybody starts yelling over each other about like, oh, I'm going to cast Polymorph in the middle of a speech. Oh, yeah, do this. Is it that one? I think I had like four or five options in there in increasing levels of silliness. Um, yes. And because uh, essentially when it's just like, okay, this is essentially going to be white noise, but some of it might be like legible essentially. So, okay, put something in there that will be funny if people can hear it. And I was like, can do. It's actually... Funny. 
perfect red that yours kind of hopped off of Crit Crab's like polymorph thing because that made it perfectly transition to slowly add in more and more people yeah. making yeah. their own suggestions. Because funnily enough, nobody else kind of. Uh, well, not nobody, but a majority of the people were just kind of going off on their own thing, and I didn't really know how to transition to adding them in. Oh. Uh, aside from you and uh, Connor McKinley, who's the guy that's like, okay, I'm going to grab Greckles, and then I'm going to Dimension Door. Like, he was like <laughs> one of the few other people that were like hopping off, uh, right. off of what Crit Crab said. So that's actually really good. Uh, I'm glad you I'm included glad. that. Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, mine was I wanted to uh, throw a javelin at him, cast lightning, and then I wanted to roll to <laughs> pants him, and then I exclaimed that I got an at twenty. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you could hear a little bit of that at the beginning, yeah. like you show uh. up soon after red, and you're like, yeah. I wanna, I wanna draw, throw a javelin at him, and then you just kind of slowly fade out, just saying yeah. random nonsense. That is also oh, just beautiful. what Blue's no, the, actual D and D character would do in our current campaign. Yeah. <laughs> Just throw oh. javelin and then cast lightning with it because basically my my character in that game is what if Thor was playing through the plot line of Disney's Hercules? Um, <laughs> so he's basically you know a, like a Greek hoplite, but is also like m- not quite the son of this fantasy world's like God of Thunder equivalent. Um, so I was just I was just playing me right then. <laughs> not quite the son. I mean, didn't it turn out that you just super weren't, and the guy was like, this is really awkward, but you're not one of my bastard children? Yes, that yeah, is correct. Yeah, no, that is what happened. That was the first time I died. Uh, the second time I died, he was like, hey, so you're back. What <laughs> what didn't you learn from last time? Rude. And then it came into basically my character being like, yeah, dying is fine. You just come back later. It's yeah. no big deal. I've died twice. Died Why does twice. everyone seem so upset about this? You hang out with your god, and then he tells you off a little bit, but in like a sort of paternalistic way. And then you come yeah. back, and it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I remember using that as an intimidation against a bad guy where someone was threatening me. It's like, yeah, well, I've died twice, so I don't see what you're trying to do here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say one of my favorite bits of just meta comedy in D anD D was is when somebody tries to do way too much in a single round. Yes, it's like yeah. I'm gonna throw the javelin, cast lightning, do a dodge roll, restore restore my points with my sorcerer points, and I'm gonna uh, cast quicken fireball on my own location. But I've also cast fireproofness on myself, and it's like calm the fuck down, man. Yeah, this is six right. seconds diegetically. <laughs> And then no. for every one of those, you also have someone who's like, oh, it's my turn. Um, okay, hold on. Oh I'm going to move God. six feet, and then uh, wait, I'm going uh, to... I'm, I'm going to... Uh, okay, let's see. Wait, uh, how does okay, I'll attack with my up. sword. Yeah, just flip through the pages. It's like, okay, yeah. do. Does like, this you work? had no. every other person's turn before you to figure this out. <laughs> yep. That's my Always biggest pet peeve as a DM is when, when you have, like, four or five other people plus the, the NPCs to take their turns first. Yeah. Any, any tabletop people who want to learn to be better players, figure out your turn during other people's turns. That's my tip. Yeah. It, it's like getting then, your restaurant order when you're in line, you know? Like, yes. you don't wait until you're at the counter. You look at the menu while you're a few people back, and you're like, oh, yeah, that looks pretty good. And then when you get up front, yes. you're like, yeah, I'd like the I'd like the Smike Burger with a with a side of lightning bolt, please. And they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> the guy behind you is like, oh, can I get a fucking sword? <laughs> <laughs> The other side of that is, though, when you are trying to be on the ball, but then the player in front of you has a turn that completely changes the combat encounter. So you're like, oh, okay, everything has changed. There are now six more enemies that spawned in last turn. Um, yeah. Well, I was going to hit him, but then you tackled him 30 feet away, so what am yeah. I supposed to do? I have that problem yeah. a lot in our current campaign. Um, just last session, we were in a combat, and uh, I was, I'm playing a bard, so a lot of my spells require line of sight on the enemies, 
and I had a hunger of Hadar cast mm. by the warlock in our party before my turn that separated me from all the enemies, but also separated all of them from my line of sight. So that was, uh, that's kind oh. of the classic, oh, where's the party synergy? But, you know, you do what you got to do. Yeah. Uh, you did have one that's of them what, teamwork uh, episodes. That's what got us killed by a dragon that one time. <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. Uh, Where one person died, and we kept on going to try and pick up the body, and then the rest of us all died trying to pick up the last person's body. You can, oh. you can name names. You died, and I tried to pick up your body. <laughs> <laughs> a person died. Come on, Blue. <laughs> Blue. Well, well I wasn't the first person to die. Our, our happy-go-lucky monk who could never get a hit off was all was the one who died first, and then after that, it all went to hell. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Oh no! Just the classic conundrum. I always of feel D&D. kind of bad. Hmm. There, there's something about the way that D and D plays out that's always way sillier than the tone should be, and I'm not really sure how I feel about it because it's like that, you know, a TPK against the dragon because one of them tragically died. That should be so dark, but instead it's like, oh, he beefed it. Now he's dead too. What do we do? <laughs> and it's just like I don't know. It, it, I don't know. I, I think different DMs have different opinions on this. I know a lot of them will try and make it so it's not like you hilariously beef it in a completely incongruous way to the rest of the character's tone. It's more like, oh, you know, you you shoot, but it like scatters off their armor because they're just so cool. But you're also cool. Don't worry. It's you know to kind of preserve the tone. But yeah, I don't know. What Sometimes you're it describing, is like, what you're describing right now, is what DMs stay up awake at night in a mm. cold sweat learning. It's a skill. It is such a <laughs> fucking hard skill to learn. Uh, yeah, that, definitely. Um, only the toppest tier DMs can consistently do it, like Mr. Mercer. Oh, uh, yes, of course. Because, like, yeah, that is a struggle, trying to make a serious moment, but then the players kind of just do something silly. You just kind of have to learn how to roll with it or how to slowly transition into a yeah. serious thing. It's yeah. hard. It's hard, man. Uh, to your point, Joe Cat, I actually think that you did a really great job at the end of the video where Evilus Maximus gets polymorphed, but then a bunch of cultists show up. That yeah. was just like, I know that it was like, it was a bit to transition out from the video, but that's just a really good, like, tangible example of how you roll with that kind of thing happening. Yeah. That's, that, that's good DMing. That's good yeah. DMing. Yeah. It's like, there's still going to be an encounter. It's It'll be different, yeah. but like... I mean, plus, if he's polymorphed, if you do enough damage to break him out of the polymorph, he's back, and now you have to deal with him again. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. That's a, yeah, with, as, as a, D, a good DM can find ways to get what they want, but also let the players do what they want as well. I had, yeah. That yeah. Uh, Joe Crap gets to have his fight go on that has to do with Evilus Maximus, and Crick Crab gets to polymorph him as well. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Turns out the sheep does like 80 d6 fire damage. Yeah. <laughs> One of the comments was like, unfortunately, the sheep is even more powerful. <laughs> uh, classic uh. conundrum. Cyancat8991 mm. asks, What is your favorite DD class? Ooh. <clears throat> Bard. Paladin. Uh, well, yeah. it's Paladin. Yeah, uh, let's mine's. See. Go ahead. Uh, mine's a mine's a tie between bard and warlock. Yes. Uh, bard because I just I think bard is the quintessential D and D class. It's all about telling stories and performing, and I it every uh, when you either take lore bard or when you reach level nine, every spell is a bard spell now. Like yep. you, yeah. you can have any spell that you want. Uh, it's uh, it's a charisma class, so you get to talk with NPCs and role play a little bit more, and it, it's just great. It's it's wonderful. It's the jack of all trades. You can build it so many different ways, and you can have so many different flavors of bard. You can have an artist bard. You can have a army drummer boy bard. You can have <laughs> a 
a bard that's just like about re- collecting and recounting history. It doesn't even have to be a performer. It's uh, it's wonderful. And Warlock, just because it's so customizable. I, oh, yeah. Like, if I were to redesign 5e, I would have everyone have the Warlock's invocation feature so that they could customize with all these different... It's basically the... the f- being you know taking on features you know feats and traits how you can take on features at like level four and level eight and stuff but just extended to even more stuff uh to compensate i don't know what i would do to make warlock stand out but like i think that's the coolest (laughs) thing about warlock and i think everyone should have that feature yeah i the bard thing just reminded me i had a concept for a character i haven't used him anywhere but uh, basically the premise is he he just walked off the set of les mis essentially like you know (laughs) that kind of like French, like, oh, perfect golden curls, and but he's really, really invested in the plight of the people, and he keeps making motivational speeches, sometimes in song, <laughs> and keeps, like, accidentally provoking peasant rebellions everywhere they go. Oh. <laughs> like, but he's this, like, foppish nobleman type. He doesn't even realize that's what's happening. He's just always like, my goodness, if... If, uh, if my lord were treating me this poorly, I wouldn't send him food at all. And their peasants are like, yeah, we do control the means of production. And then he just leaves <laughs> this like trail of just rampant chaos in his wake because he's just too motivational. I, I don't know. He's really funny. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, I like I that know. idea. Um, I, I, I'm having trouble with like favorite class because I feel like they're all so useful just because they all add spice to different character archetypes. Like, Mm-hmm. I guess my approach to D&D isn't like the class defines your character. It's more like what what class makes sense for the person you've mm-hmm. created. Um, right. So, I mean, like I, I've been figuring out this barbarian character and I just absolutely love her, but it's not like barbarian is my favorite class. Uh, when, when I started out, I like played a multi-class ranger rogue just because I really like the mix of features and kind of the vibe, but I'm not sure either of those are my favorite either. Um, yeah. I don't know. I was gonna say one of the reasons that I like Paladin is is from a gameplay perspective they have like a few magic abilities and then they also can like still like hit in a fight and stuff but then they split a little bit between they have charisma so they're pretty good in conversation and then they're pretty good in a fight because they can usually be pretty tanky but then from the narrative and role playing aspect of it what I like so much is that Paladin is like this is the hero character how yeah. heroic they actually are and if they're any good at it is up to you as the player so it's such a a ripe class to play against type and create a hero who is either like way too like cookie cutter textbook heroic wants to just save the day or the kind of absolute complete self-obsessed you know jerk who thinks they have a moral code but they're just a absolute train wreck of a human yeah. I figured I, it, out it's my so favorite. much fun to create and then play against those types specifically in paladin beautiful i think me. evil paragons are great but also i figured yeah. out my favorite class it's monk i think it's just oh. hilarious that if you get really good at punching things you become ageless and immune to poison <laughs> yeah. and can, cannot be killed through traditional mortal means it's just so funny to me conceptually <laughs> Your cells just grow fists and punch the poison out. Uh, Basically, always, yeah. You... Oh, that that gives me an idea for a character now, though. Like just like a <laughs> a really a, an immortal, ageless mobster like muscle in oh. uh, <laughs> oh. Eberron setting, who's like a bouncer. He's like, hey, so the big man was saying that you owed him a little bit of money. Just like <laughs> just this big dude who just punches. Oh man, I want to play a monk oh. now. I think like... a lot of the things that make me favor one class over another is the flavor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I have mm-hmm. to I have to realize 
that the flavor is not concrete. Like mm. they they tie a lot of these. They're essentially occupations in a way that they tie a lot of it to you know oh a paladin you know has to do with gods and or serving a lord or something like that. When it's like you know even though they flavor a lot of these uh, abilities uh, based on it, it's like if you think about it, you kind of don't have to. And the newest yep. book, um, Tasha's what's it called? Cauldron of Everything. The cauldron. Tasha's Cauldron, yeah, has actually official means of reflavoring now. Like, they, mm-hmm. they basically wrote it in an official book of, like, hey, here's how you can reflavor things and make them, like, uh, change the theme about certain things. Oh, and it's like, yeah. oh, that's cool. They have, like, written rules about how to change theming different spells to do, do different things or, or your occupation or your class. And it's like, they're very much encouraging... Uh, this non-rigidness that D and D is kind of heading towards. Actually, um, yeah. For the various faults of of Five E, I have always really respected how much they're like. Look, these are just guidelines. It is so open for you to just like screw around with it and make what you feel is right. And that's one thing I always really respect. And it's cool to see it like built in specifically with Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, where it's like, no, here are the tools to go and do whatever the hell you want. Yes. While, yeah. while we're talking about theming, I wanted to just throw something out there, because I had this idea a while back, and I, I sort of half homebrewed it, but I haven't done anything official with it, and I'm kind of curious to see if other people can do something with it. Um, I was working on Journey to the West, and it occurred to me how good of a warlock patron Sun Wukong would be. Oh, um, man. But, like... But the thing is, it's got a plot baked in, because the whole thing with Monkey is he is a nightmare for, like... 500 straight years and then he kind of gets his shit together he's trying to clean his stuff up and imagine how much more annoying that would be if he'd left this trail of just like evil warlocks in his wake when he was in the burn everything to the ground phase and now he's like trying to fix it and like empowering new warlocks with like better abilities but he's really kind of bad at this so he's like you need a random access true sight right that'll help and it's like oh god i can see forever um and just like He's essentially, you've got these people who are trying to, like, defeat the incredibly powerful warlocks of this guy who went through an evil phase and is now trying to improve. And I sort of figured out some abilities he could have and sort of tried to balance it out. And I just think it, it would be kind of really funny to sort of add that extra lore, just drop in a few more, like, gods and, and god-adjacent figures and warlocks yeah. and paladins and clerics of those figures and also this overarching plot of a divine war that has been resolved and now you're just doing the cleanup. Yeah. Uh, what if your patron is figuring it out as much as you are? That's a exactly. very cool idea. Yeah, yeah. That's sort of the uh, Jester and the um, Traveler school of thought there from Critical Role in terms of... Yeah. Not yeah. really. Yeah. A, really. Although, huh. I don't well, know. Kinda. I don't want to spoil anything, but... but yeah, I just imagine like role, so a, I don't know a patron taking a moral philosophy class then coming or a, a warlock taking a moral philosophy class and coming to their patron like okay so let's have just a little rundown on the trolley problem so <laughs> the way it works is that it's like the good place except it's with a god mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Quan Yin sitting down with monkey like this is your badness level <laughs> it's like usually high for someone your size <laughs> so patron now that i've finished your your kind of bidding what now i don't know i never thought i'd get this far <laughs> oh no well, we, we've talked a lot about uh, classes that we like, but uh, Bardic Inspiration asks, if you yourself were a D&D character, what would your class and race be? Oh, no. Oh, man. Also a paladin. <laughs> yeah. Also a bard. Here, also a bard. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I gotta go with Barbarian. Like, the classic mm. multi-class, double, dual, you know, bard and barbarian. <laughs> can't be tied down, man. <laughs> gotta get my punches in. <laughs> but, uh... I don't I know. Think, I, 
you you rage by like getting even more aggressive about this thing that you're passionate about. <laughs> yes. Uh, Someone your, insults your, your set and you just bard. break the loot over your knee. It's like, all right, asshole, listen up. <laughs> your bard, your bard you inspiration is actually just uh, another reflavoring of intimidation. Everyone just follows <laughs> you through just because they're too scared of your passion. You uh, can do this. Yeah. <laughs> you just sort of flex Boy. at them and they feel better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, hey, it's like, oh god, uh, it's like. What did they do? did they do that in Fantasy High where the bard just gave people inspiration by winking at them? Yes, yeah, that was. Um, oh yeah, Emily Axford's Fig, um, yeah. fig uh, yeah. Figaroth um, would just wink at people, and then everyone's like, "What does it mean?" <laughs> I think inspired flexing is the funniest possible approach. But yeah, yep. yeah, textbook bard bardbarian. I'm not sure about not sure about the race though. Um, I feel like Five yeah, E keeps adding new ones, and I don't know what they are. It's the case of like which it. It's kind of oh, the case yeah. of like which one would you want to be at this yeah. point? Like, yeah, yeah. I feel like I mean the obvious choice is human because that's what we all are, as far as I know. Human, True. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would be one. I would be a half elf because yeah. I'm half Asian, so and oh. half white. <laughs> So the white part would be human, I guess. I don't know. Uh, torn between two worlds. <laughs> yeah, torn between uh, my culture of this, this elegance, whatever. And yeah, yeah. it's like semi-vanilla. I don't know. I'm on the shorter vanilla, side. I could be like, like a, a halfling. Spice on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I don't know. Um, I always want to go like really kind of to the wall crazy with with the race choices. But if we're talking about who I'd actually be, it would probably be like something basic, like human, just basic mm -hmm. bitch answer. Who would you want know. to be? Oh, I don't know. Like I, all my favorite ones are from three point five, and they don't exist in five e. <laughs> um, yeah, that's all right. Say those. Yeah, man. I'm trying to remember. Like honestly, like three point five had templates, which was my favorite thing. Like you could be half almost anything. Uh, so, I mean, what, what, what 5e, what the dragonborns in 5e are, uh, half dragons were in 3.5. And you could uh, be half any mm. kind of dragon. You would get a breath weapon, you would get wings. There were so many templates that would give you wings. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> uh, you, you could also be a half fiend or a half celestial, which were insane. They had like a, an effective level of plus four. So you could be running around at level one and be on par with a level five player. It was hilarious. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't know. I mean... Oh, this they is hard. That sounds like a cool idea. They should bring that back. I like, agree. If and you could stack them. Elves, if there are half elves and half orcs, it makes sense that there would be half other things. You could you could also stack templates. There was no rule against it. You could basically get yourself an effective level of plus 12 by being a half dragon, half celestial, half fiend. It was so <laughs> stupid. You could stack all those templates on a snail and it would be the most dangerous enemy in the game. <laughs> We have a lot of templates <laughs> to consider going forward. I'm just kind yeah, of trying damn. to like think in my mind like what would be the worst possible worst possible in that it would be a nightmare to DM. Uh, Most game breaking stack. Yeah, that you could create. Well, half celestials get like they get like built-in paladin powers like Ooh. protection from evil, smite, like once a day. Smite. Yeah, smite. Yeah. All that stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that flavor sounds a lot like Asmar, but they're not. Uh, mechanically, I think they're pretty. Yeah, different. yeah. It's been a while since I've looked basically, Asimar and Dragonborn are the watered-down versions of half celestial and half dragon. Um, basically, trying to create a player race of these things that you could actually play without wildly unbalancing your own party. <laughs> right. This next question comes from Idiosyncrastic. 
to all, what would be your dream occupation in a fictional setting? Fantasy, sci-fi, post-apocalyptic, uh, adventurer. <laughs> Absolutely adventurer. I uh, so much that I wish adventurer was a regular uh, uh, occupation in real life. Just imagine people just traveling around the world helping other people with menial tasks. How how right? awesome is that? How cool is that? <laughs> so like, very pretty cool. I feel like the movie version of archaeologists. You know, yes. you get to do all the world hopping oh, and traveling, yeah. but also there's cool shit going on and like cursed <laughs> artifacts and I don't know, evil <laughs> British people, stuff like that. Good stuff. Like, imagine if you could, like, especially since, uh, I'm not going to spoil anything, by the way, watching The Mandalorian and just, like, yes. the idea of having your own, like, traveling, whether it be ship or caravan, just, like, going from place to place, doing odd jobs and getting paid for it. That sounds awesome. It does. I'd love to do that. We have historically kind of had something like that in, in the concept of a privateer, where if you're British, you just get a stipend from the crowd to go and fuck around and destroy any French ships that you see. Right. Yeah. And then you can kind of do whatever you want with the rest of your time, yeah. as long as you're just giving France a hard day. I wish that the professions of mercenary and bounty hunter were actually as cool and glamorous as they are on yeah, TV. Yeah, if it weren't for the fact that you were killing people. Yeah, yeah. It's, the, it's the unfortunate side of things. It's just like, yeah. instead of actually killing people, you just put them in a headlock and just give them a noogie and then let them on their way. Like, all right, don't, like, ah, don't you be a dick again. I showed him one for you get... <laughs> okay, let's see. Yeah, I think adventurer is honestly usually the way to go. But for me, definitely the flavor of adventure archaeologist. Like, you're out there yeah. doing shit, but it's not because you want to help people. <laughs> it's because you're <laughs> curious about the world you're in and you want to know how it works. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think kind of in line with that, I've always thought it'd be really cool if you were like the mechanic on a spaceship or, you know, sort of like the your Star Trek oh, Chief yes. O'Brien types where you're just like trying to do your job, but your job is going and aiding all these really crazy adventures and like getting into the mechanics of things that just don't exist yet. It's ugh, ugh, the nerd. You know, out. you're right. O'Brien O'Brien really has the best position on that ship because he's yeah. never on the away team. <laughs> He never has to deal with all that hot nonsense. He's just ch chilling, doing his job. Like, uh, you know, who cares? Oh, Picard fused with an energy being this week. Yeah, I can probably transport him back. Oh, Riker's got godlike powers again. Yeah, we can probably fix that. <laughs> but he, he never has to deal with man. all the shit on the ground. <laughs> yeah. He really is. <laughs> Beautiful. Amazing. We could talk about Star Trek for much longer. We'll save that for another episode. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Another day. <laughs> yes. Uh, pulling back the curtain. you, Blue? I don't think you answered. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. What about me? Um, eh, I, I mean, I was kind of piggybacking onto the, uh, the, the fantasy archaeologist just because I, yeah. I feel like that's a practical way to, like, go out and go, go dig up some, some long-dead civilization, but I carry a sword just in case. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not sure I have much of a more uh, complex answer than that. Uh, it, it reminds me, I was thinking about uh, a concept from... Um, uh, a YouTuber in the like historical costuming YouTube sphere called uh, Carolina Zabrowska, who had a video skit last week about uh, the woman who works in a time travel agency sewing <gasps> the costumes that people yes. wear when they go on mission, oh, where it's like, so cool. no, if you're going to the Napoleonic period, I'm not going to send you two entire ball gowns. You're going to need to pick one, all right? It's like, <laughs> I don't... <laughs> I only have so much time here. Uh, so that was a funny concept of just like the the poor person working in the back office trying to get everyone's like period accurate costumes for the time travel missions. That does sound but cool. But I, I don't do costuming, so I'd be very bad at that. Yeah, sewing is hard. 
Oh, um, uh, yeah. It's... Yeah, I feel like maybe all, all of our answers are like, gosh, I would just really love to be able to go outside. And I feel like that's yeah. pretty, pretty <laughs> telling, honestly. Wait, actually, I have one more. And that uh -huh. is Alchemist. Like, yes! Ooh, Alchemist yeah. of a shop, brewing potions, experimenting, coming up with new recipes. Ah, uh, I would love that. Ye that old would, bartender. That awesome. Awesome. Why well, aren't there more magic bars with like alchemic drinks and stuff? <laughs> that, that would be like the easiest concept in the world. You're already going to a tavern. Why not give mm -hmm. the bartender a personality? There are in the real world like bars, but the bartenders are magicians. But like, you know, like magic tricks right. are yeah. not the same thing. But reality's boring. I don't, you don't <laughs> get like, I don't have a tiny newt serving my drink. <laughs> this is more not like, could you add a shot of health, health potion to it? It's been a hell of a day, Jim. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> little colorful yeah. explosion of sparks at the top. Uh, thanks, man. <laughs> yeah. DM. I'm cutting you off, man. of vitality so that you can make your way back home in a reasonable fashion. Yeah. <laughs> you finish and he like slips you a potion of sobriety and you're like, ah, oh, you motherfucker, and I have to start again. <laughs> it's like, I'm cutting uh, you off. <laughs> anyway. Awesome. Well, we're just up about time, so I'm going to read one last question and then we're going to have to sign out. Um, Alone M asks, Indigo, will you actually read this? Yes, I will, and that's a podcast. Uh, take us away, Red. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cruel. Oh, wait, hold on. Yeah, yeah. Let me just uh, real quick pull up my... Nobody look at actually, me. <laughs> but before we, before we get into the outro, um, quick uh, notes about what we've got coming up for oh, uh, the next few weeks. We have... Oh, One yeah. more video in the year um, coming up uh, this Friday. Uh, yep. And then for New Year's, we are doing a little break. Uh, we're going to have uh, a fun new like side video. And then we're also doing um, a special New Year's uh, in video uh, podcast, which will be Ooh, fun. So pod. stay Ooh. tuned for that. No regular upload on New Year's Day because we need a break. Uh, yeah, but there will still be some OSP content coming your way just in a little bit of a different form. Hell yeah. Uh, all tuned. right, so uh, thank you all so much for listening. And if you want to get more of that sweet, sweet OSP content, you can check out our channel on YouTube. Same goes for that sweet Joecat content. Uh, if you want to ask a question for the next pod, you can follow the link in the description to ask the OS pod, sorry, to the Ask OS Pod channel on Discord for a chance for your question to be featured on air. Until next time, I've been Red. I've been Blue. And I and have been nervous about whether I should say anything. Never mind, you go. No, do it, do it. I was going to be like, and that's Hello, been Joecat! Woo! Hey, hey, well, hi, hey. Hey. Oh, so sorry. Uh, and this has been an overly sarcastic podcast. Woo! Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on January 6th, 2021 with another Rip Roarin' episode, but if you keep an eye on the channel, you may catch a very special version of us much sooner. For more OSP content, be sure to check out our YouTube channel and Discord, links in the description below, as well as all the cool stuff our guest and friend Joe Cat is up to. As always, if you enjoyed the pod, please rate us five stars and leave a review, and have a happy holidays from all of us here on Team OSP.